1: Welcome back to GEMS Podcast. I'm your host, Genesis Amaris Kemp, and with me today is Ryan Harbuck. We're going to be talking about hidden realities of disabilities, as well as weaving in some other key topics that maybe you didn't think about because you haven't walked a mile in Ryan's shoes or maybe someone else's. But before we dive in, here's a bit about Ryan. Her teenage years challenged her with not only a paralyzing car accident, but with a crumbling family as well. She had to learn quick, had to grow up fast, finding a lot of power, in her own vulnerabilities. She became a teacher and swim coach. She found her way to India for experimental stem cell treatment. She navigated toward relationships until she finally met the love of her life, marrying only three months after meeting. She became a mom. All of the events in her life came with a great cost to herself, a lesson that anything is possible and that the vulnerabilities in her everyday life are so important. Every challenge has taught her so much about herself and about living. So she did the only thing she could and she wrote a book about it all. And without further ado, let's start to unpack this journey with Ryan. Ryan, thank you so much for being here today.
2: Oh, thank you, Genesis. I'm really excited to chat with you.
1: Me too. So Ryan, let's uh, talk about your book for a bit. Um, what's the name of your book? The, the
2: name of the book is "When I Grow Up, I Want to be a Chair." Ooh, yeah, it's it's mouthful.
1: <laughs> okay, so I could see the picture. Um, do you have the book close to you? I don't. Actually,
2: the book will be coming out. Um, in just a few weeks, maybe even while this is being aired, it will be out at that point. Um,
1: that is amazing.
2: Yeah, I just finalized the cover. It's, it's in the last stage of layout and it's been about a dozen years in the making, to be honest, I've been writing it for a really long time and the stories have changed and shifted throughout, but um, I'm finally ready to birth it to the world. <laughs>
1: So let's unpack the title of the book, When I Grow Up, I Want to Be a Chair, because what that means to you may resonate totally different with someone else, because no one just says, hey, I want to be a chair, but there is, you know, a hidden message, as well as a silver lining to why you pick the name of your book. So unpack that for us.
2: Absolutely. So it's actually a little bit of a play on words, obviously, but um, there is some truth behind it. When I was a preschooler, that was actually something I told my, my parents that I wanted to be. I told my parents I wanted to be a chair when I grew up. I was just a typical bouncing kid. Um, you know, uh, I don't know why I didn't say firefighter or veterinarian or whatever the case may be and I've often asked my mother like why didn't you kind of dive into this a little bit more and and she was really good and didn't want to mess with my creative moment and um the only thing I can really rationalize is at the time I had a baby sister and so I thought maybe like I wanted to really hold her and if I were a chair that somebody would let me hold her but I really truly wanted to be a chair when I grew up um and then if you flash forward um about a dozen years, I was actually involved in a pretty major car accident, which paralyzed me from about the rib cage down. And so it was, you know, uh, in my book, I talk about like, did I actually have this like premonition as as this small child that I was going to end up in a wheelchair or, but I think that like through the years and through writing my book, I realized that everybody sort of has their own version of a chair and it's, you know, something um, that you're bound to or something that identifies you that you don't necessarily believe
1: wholeheartedly or you don't feel like really is a great description for you. Wow. That is just, just amazing as well as breathtaking as well as speechless because not that I'm in a wheelchair, but I can relate because, um, my dad went through a knee jerk accident. He went into the hospital for his blood sugar levels being elevated. And three days later, we found out that my dad was paralyzed from the waist down. So Mm -hmm. his entire quality of life shifted Mm-hmm. um just whenever he complained about not having feeling on one side of his body I quickly reacted and asked if he had a stroke, and they said no, 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 no. And then just going from hospital to rehab, back to the hospital to long-term acute care, it came out by another facility that they had given my dad the wrong medication. So no one imagines their life going from 100, you know, normal where you could walk and talk and take care of yourself to wheelchair bound, and you know that does affect you mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, but. but. But until you've been in someone's situation or know someone that is near, near and close to you, you may not necessarily know how to react to that. You may not necessarily know what to say. So whenever you think about where you are now and where you came from, what was the hardest thing that you endured, Ryan? Well, I think
2: that when the accident happened, I was 16 years old. And so I think that on some level that really saved me because I was kind of a naive young kid and my biggest worry was trying to keep up with my friends and being able to, uh, you know, go out on a Saturday night with them. Um, But at the same time, I think that it was also um, very, very difficult because when you're 16 years old, you really do want to be like everyone else and you really are hypersensitive to your physical body and Um, What you can and cannot do and really trying to um, dive into your own independence at at that point. And so I think that I often say that it was a blessing that my accident happened when it did, because I think that it truly did force me to really jump into my new life. Um, because I didn't want to get left behind. I did want to go and hang out with my friends and go to the movies and all of that. And so, and and I learned really quickly that if that's what I wanted to do, I just had to do it. And I couldn't linger in the past and look, you know, hold on to everything that had happened because then I'd miss out.
1: Mm, Yeah. And for it to happen when you were 16 years old, you know, that I'm sure that has rocked you. But I like the fact that you said, you know what, I didn't want to get left behind. So I had to jump in. So you pretty much got in where you fit, where you fit in. But whenever that accident happened, like your emotions, like, did you feel anger, resentment or to the person that may have caused the accident or how did you, how did you feel in that present moment? And what was your saving grace? Because we always have a saving grace that takes us from the situation that we're in, that pulls us out to see the holistic picture, if that makes sense.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. I think that, you know, um, I think going back to those moments after the accident, I think that it was really difficult coming out of it and just like understanding the fact that I was now different and my life was completely different than it was before. Um, I was blessed in the fact that I don't remember my accident at all. And so it was really easy for me to sort of separate my life before and then my life after and now. Um, And I think that that really, that may have been my saving grace right there is just the fact that um, I don't have a traumatic memory of that, that that night. I know everything that happened, and I've been able to share that story with a lot of people just because I know you know, bits and pieces from either other people that were a part of the accident or um, from the medical personnel that showed up that night. Um, and so I know everything that happened, and I can talk about it pretty freely, but I don't have a lot of emotional tie to it. And so I think that it was really, really easy at the time to just sort of separate from what happened that in that life that I had able-bodied, you know, free-spirited, and then jump into this new life where, you know, being in a wheelchair, you know, it's not just the fact that I have a wheelchair that makes me different. And it's not alone. The only thing that I have to worry about or the only complications to, you know, being paralyzed. not sure that I answered all your question (laughs) yeah that did
1: and I would say it's the differences that that happened to us that also happened for us because it strengthens us beyond what we could even think or imagine and you may not see it like right then and there but as life goes on and you go through this transition or some people say transformation you start to see how the puzzle pieces fit together but when it happens to you like I'm to be honest like you're mad as hell, or you're angry, you're bitter. And you're like, why me? But then sometimes if you flip the script and say, well, why not me, you know, because I'm equipped, I'm resilient, or whatnot to handle it. But it doesn't feel that way when you first are going through the thick of it.
2: Right. And the one thing that you did ask is um, that I didn't address was you asked if um, if I was angry or harbored ill feelings for uh, the person that caused the accident. So I wasn't driving that evening. Um, one of my friends was and um, n- there was never one moment that I outwardly blamed her um, I, I think that I always just sort of took the events of that night as what they were. They were an accident. Nobody meant for them to happen. There was no drugs or alcohol involved. It was just a fleeting moment in time that just so happened to change everything. And, um, and I, I think that that's helped me too to not dwell on
1: it and to be able
2: to get past and live a
1: life. Mm. I like how you went back and addressed that because it also shows the type of person that you are because sometimes when you hold on to that anger, that guilt, and that resentment, It weighs you down when you're when you're in turn trying to progress in life. But you have these emotional bondages and baggages that's constantly like just weighing you down further and further until you could get the chip off your shoulder or you could begin to see the bigger picture. Then you're not able to propel yourself. And uh, Brian, I know you became a swim coach you also married the love of your life and you are a mother. So walk us through how your life began to unfold as you got older. Like what pushed you to being a swim coach? Let's start there. Well,
2: I had always grown up as a swimmer myself, a competitive swimmer. And um, and it really was after my accident, I think sort of everybody kind of you know talked behind my back like what is she going to do how is she going to swim which and i never really thought much about it because it was part of my identity and so i automatically signed up to swim on the swim team again because that's what i had always done and it wasn't a question in my mind and i and so um at that time uh some of the parents in in my neighborhood uh the pool association they actually offered to let me start coaching as well because i think that they kind of weren't totally sure what I was going to do, but they wanted me to be able to be a part of things. And so that's really when I started coaching, I was 16 years old, didn't really know what I was doing, but I felt really good about it. And, um, and I've been coaching ever since I've done that my entire life at some point or another, I've always been a swim coach. And I think that swimming has been something that really saved me in my life. Um, because it's something that I can still do being paralyzed. Um, it took me a long time to recognize that I would have to change things. I would have to change my stroke to fit my new body and what I could and could not do. And um, once I was willing to actually accept that, my swimming got a lot easier and it became more enjoyable. And um, all the things that I ever loved about swimming, I've been able to share and bring to my own swimmers. And um, to this day, my husband and I actually own a swim team together and we coach that. Um, Since the pandemic, I haven't done a lot of on-deck coaching because I do have little children at home. And so I've been doing more momming at this point.
1: That is amazing and awesome. And then with swimming, um, have you partnered with any like nonprofit uh, organizations that may have um, other children or young adults or adults that are paralyzed to kind of let um, let them see that swimming could be a saving grace for them too, or, you know, an activity that they could do? Like one um, organization that I have partnered with a while back was Special Olympics, and it brought mm-hmm. so much joy to me just to kind of get outside of, you know, the normal and just put myself in someone else's shoes and kind of, you know, see things from their perspective and vantage point.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have done swimming with the uh, Paralympics, which is, um, it's not Special Olympics, but it's more of the, the physical disability side. And I've actually, I haven't done any coaching with Paralympics, but I've actually done swimming and competing for myself. And that's actually how I met my husband was at a Paralympics swim meet.
1: Oh, now that's a beautiful segue into (laughs) diving more into how you uh, met your husband. So you guys met at Paralympics and so it's like a competitive swimming, right? In a sense. So,
2: So Paralympics is, um, it para meaning alongside or beside the Olympics. And so, um, it's specifically for people with different, um, abilities, different disabilities, it, um, anywhere from people that are amputees, people that are paralyzed, people that have vision impairments, hearing impairments, things like that, um, and the, the Paralympic Games actually runs just after the Olympic Games every cycle, and um, so at the time, I had decided that I wanted to train to try to make the Paralympic team and so I trained really, really hard for about two years. And um, I I really wanted to prove to myself that I could put all of myself into some sort of an effort and see where it took me. And so that's sort of where that channeled um, into all the energy for me to to train for this moment. Um, and I did really, really well for myself. I, um, you know, had, I actually had a couple of parents Paralympic American records at one point and um swimming was just it was really wonderful and it was freeing and it was competitive something that I felt like I didn't get a lot of um, just being uh in a wheelchair but it, it was such a great experience I went to the Paralympic trials that was in 2012 and um I actually did not make the Paralympic team. I swam my heart out and I did really, really well. And I was very surprised that when I left that meet that I wasn't sad because I I was just completely content because I I knew that I had done everything in my power to make that team. Um, But lo and behold, I had a brief interaction with a coach on deck. And uh, we exchanged numbers to talk a little bit more about Paralympic swimming because he was new to coaching it. And it's, it's far different than able-bodied swimming. And so I offered to let him know of the things that I had learned about it. And um, he was living in North Carolina at the time. So we did a lot of texting and calling and Skyping. And um, it was the most sure moment I've ever had in my life. Um, interacting with him. And from the day we met on that pool deck to the day we got married, it was three months.
1: (laughs) Wow. That is like incredible. So it's like you, you knew that he was, that he was the one for you. Like, yeah, I never had an experience
2: like that in my whole life. And Um, It was just something I was so certain about and he was too. And so there, there was no use in waiting. There was no use in playing it out and see where it went. We, we just knew what needed to happen. And so we got married and he moved out here and began coaching. And then within a year we owned our own team and and then we had our firstborn and now we have two kids. (laughs)
1: wow that is like such a beautiful love story and how long have you all been married now um we were going on 10 years oh wow <laughs> that is amazing so met on the pool deck got married three months later been married for about 10 years now and then you have two beautiful children do you have um a boy and a girl or two boys two boys <laughs> okay very, very fast boys. (laughs) That is amazing. And then now you guys own your own swim team together. Was that a dream of yours and him together? Or what made you go down that avenue? You know, he
2: had um, just recently really fallen in love with coaching swimming, and I had been doing it my whole life. And we actually just ended up in the right place at the right time. There was a local um, husband and wife team that was looking to retire and they needed to hand their team off to somebody and they approached us and said, you know, we thought that you guys would be a good fit for this. And so we took it on and, you know, we didn't really know what we were taking on at the moment because it it really is owning a small business and coaching a swim team. But um, it's been a big blessing. Our oldest kid swims on the team and it's, it's just it. We really have fostered this team to be a family of ours as well.
1: And then the rest is history. And I like how you said you fostered the team to be a family of y'all's because whenever you see you see whatever you're doing in your life, and you consider the people who are. Um, tied to it as a family then the relationship and the rapport that you have strengthens and then it feels like everyone is not just seen but they're heard they're included and it makes everyone want to work better together and or like i say united we stand and divided we fall mm-hmm. and ryan i kind of want to dig a little bit deeper in if i can so i know we're talking about the hidden realities of disabilities or maybe you have a different way of Saying it. Did you ever feel like um people were looking at you any kind of way or they were casting judgments on you versus having a conversation to really understand? what is it that Ryan needs? How can we help her? Because Ryan is just like us, even though she may be in a wheelchair and we're not, because sometimes people could have microaggressions. And like, I'll say an example that really hurt me at its core. Um, After my dad got paralyzed, a good friend of his, who he used to work in his shop, help him unload his 18 wheelers and just different stuff, like whatever his friend needed um, help with, my dad would would go and help. And when my dad got paralyzed from the waist down, I guess my dad's wheelchair was too big to go into the doorway and the shop was kind of small. So they made a comment and they said, oh, you could have just waited outside. We could have got what you needed. So to me, that was very rude because when my dad was well and whole and he was able-bodied, You didn't have a problem with him, but now that he's in a wheelchair and you know it takes up more space and he needs more assistance, now you're saying that my father could wait outside and you could help him, but that's taking away a sense of his um independence, even though he may not physically be able to walk, he still can grab things off the shelves with his hand and etc. And that is a form of microaggression. And it really hurt me that someone said something that insensitive, especially a man that he knew for a long time that would so call his friends. So after my dad passed, I cut ties with him because it was just so heart wrenching just to hear that. So I'm not sure. Have you personally um, endured that?
2: Yeah, I think, um, I think very early on, I paid a lot of attention to it. Um, I don't ever really think that people outwardly are trying to single me out or, um look at me in a different light but i think that because my disability is very physical it's very visible um you know I, everybody can see the fact that i'm sitting in a wheelchair that it, i often have different interactions or um confrontations throughout the day where people just don't know and um and i think that i've throughout the years i mean i've spent more time in a wheelchair than i did out of a wheelchair. And so my life truly is this identity. Um, but I think that I've, I've learned to sort of give people grace because I don't think that for the most part, if people are trying to, to hurt me or be rude or, um, be a, intrusive to who I am, but sure. I think that I remember very early on going to the mall or out to dinner and, and wondering why people had to yell at me. Like, I, th- I think they thought I was deaf, <laughs> couldn't hear. Um, and just, um, I have always been very stubborn and very independent and in wanting to do things myself. And so I've had moments in my life where I'm taking my wheelchair out of the car and I have to take it apart. Um, so I have my wheelchair frame and then the two wheels that I take off and put next to me in the car. And I've had points in my life where people have wanted to help me and I understand that, but they will grab my chair from me. And that's, you know, that's very um, uncomfortable and um, it it makes me very guarded if somebody's, you know, even though they're, I know they're offering help, like don't touch my wheelchair. I've got it, I've got it. Um, and, but just, I think throughout you know, my 20 plus years of being in a wheelchair, it's taught me that, that people, you know, no matter how it makes me feel, I don't, I don't think that the intention is, is bad and, and people do their best and they try to help me whether I need help or not, whether I want help or not. um, That help is just coming, it's coming from a good place. And I have had many occasions in my life where I've sort of swallowed in a lot of pride and, Um, you know, just offered a soft smile to somebody who might want to help me or doesn't really understand the situation. I've had a lot of people ask if I broke my leg and, you know, it's, it's deeper than that. And it's, it's more challenging than that. I think, you know, being 20 plus years out of it now, oftentimes I forget because this is my norm. This is my reality. And so, you know, on occasion I get, I get kind of thrown off. Somebody will, I'll c- walk into a room and somebody will say, oh my gosh, what happened to you? And I'm like waiting to see blood or something because I, it's not, it's not computing in my brain that that's what they're thinking of because that's my life. That's my every day. And so I think it, it took a while to, um, accept it. I think the biggest piece, and I write a lot about this in my book, is, is I had to first learn how to accept myself, and then I had to actually learn how to accept
1: people's acceptance of me as well. Wow, that's powerful. I'm going to recite that. So you had to learn how to accept yourself and then you have to learn how to accept people's acceptance of you. I really wanted to say that again because whenever you hear it again and you dissect it, you hear the power power behind that statement. And one thing I want to... talk on before we wind down, Ryan, is how can we educate, inspire, and motivate people that when they see someone who is in a wheelchair or they see someone who has maybe physical disabilities or invisible disabilities that they may not know about, to have empathy, but also to know what boundaries are. And then the biggest thing is diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, because I feel like sometimes people are very intrusive, and they overstep their boundaries. And going back to your point, they may not necessarily mean any harm by it, but they may not necessarily know how to articulate the question they're trying to ask or convey the message. And then to the person on the receiving side, it may come across as a microaggression, it may come across as negative, or just very flat out like You don't give a tootin' patootie darn about me and my feelings, and you're overstepping my boundaries. And then you see how a rigid conversation could spark out of that versus something that could be, you know, lost over or pleasant.
2: Absolutely. I think, um, really, when it comes down to it, I think communication is the key and being willing to communicate very openly and vulnerably about it. Um, You know, understanding that. I may have a certain feeling about the situation and somebody else in a wheelchair may have a completely different feeling and understanding about the situation. And so recognizing that everybody is individual and um, just because I use a chair doesn't mean that That other person that uses a chair and I are friends or that we think alike or that we act alike and just recognizing that everybody is an individual and being able to openly communicate with that individual about their needs or what they want or what they don't want um, that's I think that's the key.
1: I like that. Communication is the key. I would add on never assume because when you assume it makes a A double snakes out of you and I, and always be open to ask yourself the question and whether you need to say it internally or say it out loud before you ask the person. So you can kind of hear how it sounds when it comes out, just to make sure Um, it's not coming out in a way that is unpleasant, or maybe it comes out in a way where you need to polish it. But um, always put yourself in another person's shoes and kind of try to see it from their vantage point and perspective. And you may not necessarily know how. So one thing that um, I started telling people to do, like when they would um, kind of ask me about my dad or ask my dad. So I was very protective and hands down a daddy's girl. I would say just put a disclaimer up front because that lets me know that you may not necessarily know everything to say and you're coming from a place of empathy, but you're also coming from a place that's genuine where you want to learn and not be, you know, over the top or bombarding. And Ryan, I want to um, let you close us out with the one or two gems. And remember, the core pillars of GEMS podcast is to, Educate, inspire, and motivate while we intersect various stories of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, because it takes all of us linking arms, um, whether it's physically or um, or metaphorically speaking, to make this world a better place.
2: Absolutely. I think that, you know, really the message is being open to your own vulnerabilities and, recognizing that there are true strengths within that and being um, open to feeling a little bit out of control and a little bit challenged is okay because in the end, I think that it can really open a lot of doors for you and um, keeping your perspective really open and um, available for the beauty that the world really has.
1: Amazing. And Ryan, how can the listeners and viewers get in touch with you and plug your book? I know it's not out yet, but uh, when I grow up, I want to be a chair. We'll be dropping soon, y'all. So make sure you be on the lookout for it.
2: Absolutely. My website is ryanraeharbuck.com. And that's where I have links to my book and um, other press and interviews and things like that
1: amazing so ryan ray harbuck and i'm gonna spell that for y'all so it's r as in richard y as in yes a as in apple and as in nancy r as in radiant a as in apple e as in edward and harbuck h as in henry a as in apple r as in richard B as in boy, U as in umbrella, C as in candy, and K as in Kendra.com. So find all of Ryan's contact information there. Your social medias are linked there and anything else that Ryan is doing. And it will be in the show notes once again. And you just heard Ryan Ray Harbut. She is an amazing woman doing incredible things on the forefront as well as behind the scenes. And she is definitely here to leave her imprint while making an impact in order to be the world changer that she wants to be. So make sure you share this segment and you follow the podcast and subscribe. And until we chat next time, peace, love and lots of blessings. Have yourself an amazing day because you are destined for greatness. You are a masterpiece and never let limitations hold you back from being your true authentic self.
0: Thank you for listening to another segment of GEMS Podcast. Hope you enjoyed this recording. Make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe to GEMS Podcast on your audio platform, where your brand, your swag, your services can be here on GEMS Podcast.